And we welcome you to the Tuesday Morning Show on WGTD. I'm Gregory Berg. Eva Pikova died Auschwitz, December 18, 1943, aged 14. She wrote the poem Fear, knowing she faced her own death. Anne Frank died Bergen-Belsen concentration camp, February 1945, aged 16. One and a half million Jewish children were killed in the Holocaust. Maria Kotsea died in Arcadia Camp, South Africa, July 1901, aged 11. She was a victim of the first concentration camps set up by the British during the Boer War. Joan Owen of No. 10 Usk Road, London, died January 27, 1944, aged 2. A poignant moment from a work called The Cry a requiem for the lost child. For those of you who have followed the exploits of the Choral Arts Society of Southeastern Wisconsin over the years, you perhaps remember this work, which has been performed a couple of times during the group's history. They are performing it again this Saturday evening, uh, October 21st, 7 p.m. at First Presbyterian Church in downtown Racine. And I'm really excited that uh, we can speak about this this powerful work with four people who are, who are involved in uh, this weekend's performance. First of all, James Schatzman, who is, of course, the founder and artistic director of the Choral Arts Society. And, uh, and with him, three people who have a very deep connection to this work, uh, violinist Rebecca Engstrom uh, and her daughter, Talia Engstrom, and Leif Olson, who are all going to be uh, participating in this performance. And Rebecca actually has a very long history in terms of the creation of this work as well. So we have a lot to talk about, and uh, I'm excited that we can have this conversation. We welcome all of you to the morning show. Thank you. So, Jim, uh, tell us about uh, the reentry of this work into uh, the Choral Arts Society. Uh, And, of course, there's no shortage of things that you can be choosing from. It's a limitless array of possibilities, but Mm -hmm. something drew you back to the cry. Uh, Tell us what that was. Uh, Really, the the genesis of thinking about why to do this piece again is the war in Ukraine. Um, This piece really focuses on the uh, uh, what adults would think of as collateral and then maybe not even think about it all. I mean, the, the death and the loss of innocence of children is what this piece is about. Um, there's one quote uh, from one of the readers who says, I've lost faith in adults. Um, you know, my world is being, you know, blown up around me. Uh, he talks about his father being hit by shrapnel 
and it's just it's just powerful and and the images uh, that began to really dig into my uh, to, to my imagination were watching uh seeing pictures on the news of bombed out apartment buildings and city parks and this is this is not typically what we think of. We think of war, you know, two enemies line up and they go at it. No, this is the civilian population is paying an incredible price, mm. and children in particular. The trauma that will happen as a result of these will impact the rest of their lives. Um, and so uh, just being moved by that and know how moved uh, the composer, Adrian, was by that, which caused him to write this piece, uh, it just made an instant connection, as I saw some of those early uh, those early uh, pictures from from Ukraine, right? Yeah, this could not be more timely. And then uh, put on top of it uh, the devastation that so many families are experiencing right now in the Middle East. And, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So the timing is uh, painfully right mm-hmm. uh, to be doing this work uh, once again. So uh, Rebecca Engstrom, we should uh, have give you an opportunity to explain your really deep connection to this work, to its composer, Adrian Snell, and uh, the way in which uh, this piece has really been a a part of your musical life in a really special way. Yes, yeah. I I first met Adrian um, when my husband and I and my daughter were living in Israel, and he was one of the few Christian artists that was invited to um, give performances at Yad Vashem, the, the Holocaust Memorial in Jerusalem. And as we got to know each other and he found out I was a violinist, he said, oh, I'm working on this new work. Would you be interested in helping me with it? And that involved me going to England and um, spending three days in the recording studio with him. And all we had, we had the text and he had laid down basically the harmonic chord movements. And I just improvised over the top of it eight hours a day for three days in this tiny recording studio because the person he wanted to work with had agoraphobia. I couldn't even stand up. I I had to sit down or my bow would hit the ceiling because he needed a – John needed this very tight space. And I just thought, how is this going to work? I was also pregnant. Mm. I was like, I don't know how this is going to work. But we had three days, about eight hours a day, and I just laid down track after track of um, what became solo lines, what eventually became – string quartet lines and orchestral lines. And um, so I, I was just living with these these chord progressions <laughs> for weeks beforehand, trying to get ready for it and looking at the text. And then um, from there, he developed the rest of it, and it went on to the Winchester Cathedral Choir, and, and um, they they uh, recorded those. So it was, it was a very unusual way that it developed because it started with his – concept but then my violin became it it gave the more classical tone to some of his other styles that come out the the more rock and pop and almost musical kind of um styles mm. so so what was the purpose of the improvising that we you were doing and and was he transcribing some of what you were doing or was it more that that served as an inspiration then for what he went on to write it was I was creating melodies over what he had written, and then he decided to use some of them as solos and some of them wove into the in, into the orchestral parts. But it wasn't transcribed until much later when David from the Royal Academy of Music fell in love with the work, and he said, I want to do a performance at St. Paul's Cathedral. And so he went to the recording, and he transcribed everything. Wow. 
in so that it could be done acoustically. So everything was done very backwards mm. in Fascinating. This. Yeah. So what's the year that this was first done? We did this, I think it was 1999 is when it was recorded. Okay. And then I can't remember the first performance at St. Paul's was... I think it was 2007. Seven, was yeah. it? Yeah, I just can't remember yeah. now. Mm. Yeah. So, Jim, how is it that you first became aware of this this piece? <laughs> Rebecca and I worshipped together at the time, and uh, and she mentioned it. And so it went from there to conversation to reaching out to Adrian one summer and saying, uh, early, very early one summer, and said, we'd like to do this work. And he was thrilled that we were going to do it again. Um, and the arranger, uh, David Drummond, of this particular uh, uh, unique arrangement of this piece was also thrilled. Um, and so we just began this conversation. Uh, he sent the score over, and I, I took a closer look at it, um, and it just decided we, we had to do this. It was just a, a stunning work. Uh, Rebecca's connection to it certainly fueled my own passion, uh, knowing her her uh, uh, skill and passion for music. And so it just kind of organically developed. She mentioned it. We reached out to the composer, and he said, great, love to do it. And so this ended up being the, the U.S. premiere. Mm-hmm. This work. I didn't remember that. I mean, I remember that performance vividly, but I didn't remember that that was mm-hmm. the American premiere. Mm-hmm. And did something in particular prompt him to compose it at that particular moment in time or or not particularly? It grew out of his response to getting to know um, children's voices from mm. the Holocaust originally and then moving out from that. And he was at the time, he was also training to be a musical therapist, and that's what mm-hmm. he does full-time now, as well mm-hmm. as singing and writing in, 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 in different places. But he's very focused on children who've been through trauma or who are disabled and the way that music actually um, helps them develop and helps them process and find find identity. So it it really was kind of at the where, when he was beginning to kind of distill his 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 musical sort of almost philosophy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. So sitting next to you is your talented daughter, Talia Engstrom, mm-hmm. wonderful singer uh, who was part of that performance at Siebert Chapel. And Leif Olson, were you a part of that first yeah. performance as well? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Talia, just talk for a moment about what it was like to be part of this work with your mother and knowing mm-hmm. your mother's really deep and uncommonly close connection with it. Yeah, um, well, I grew. I mean, I grew up with this music. It was always playing in our house. This particular piece. Well, also a lot of Adrian's works, and then of course Adrian Snell to me is a, a very special person since we we grew up with him. We grew up with his music. We grew up with the cry. So um, I wasn't obviously a part of the creation of it, but it has a very special place in my heart. I always say like the music lives inside of me. Mm. <laughs> it's like it's close to. I could just pop out with what I know, like all the melodies, all the intricacies, just because it's it's so deep inside of me. So it was really meaningful. I mean, that first performance, I mean, I was 16. This was over <laughs> 10 years ago. Wow. So I was, I was so innocent. I was coming off of like three performances in high school, and then I had a piano competition the next morning. And so I was just kind of like, <laughs> but this was the most, it was so meaningful. And I love Leaf and, and Jim so much. So it was so meaningful to do it and to know that I was doing it for Adrian. Mm-hmm. And, um, and now it's taken on a new dimension because I'm very um, emotionally involved in what is going on in the Middle East because of our history there and yeah. our friends there. So I think I'm going to have to really hold myself together when we right. do it on Saturday because no, it really is something. So 
yeah, I mean, it's incredible to do it with my mom and, and do it for Adrian. Mm-hmm. And now it's the third time we're doing it. So, mm-hmm. Do I remember correctly that your little brother was part of that performance too at Carthage? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. Was he in the children's chorus? Mom, you'll have to... Or a yes, narrator. He was a narrator. Or a narrator. And he was a narrator. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So we're all involved in it in some way. And um, at some point, Adrian was the voice of God thundering down mm-hmm. from the, the balcony. So, yeah, it's... I mean, it's so special to me. Wow. I. I don't even know if I have words actually to describe how special it is. Well, well, understand. (laughs) Lee Folson, tell us about uh, your own history with this work and what it's been like to be part of these performances. Oh, uh, it's it's a lot of fun to to be involved in it again. And uh, um, I met Jim and Rebecca and Talia through church, and uh, we've all made music together uh, on Mm -hmm. numerous occasions now. And uh, yeah, I think that. um, it's an incredibly um, moving piece of music, and uh, and the piece that you opened up with, hearing the names of those those children and speaking them out loud, and giving just a little piece of their story, um, it's incredibly powerful and and moving, and uh, and along with what's going on in Israel and Ukraine, I I this time around, I'm mm-hmm. so much more aware of child trafficking mm-hmm. and. Um, I think that all the ways that these things get brought uh, to people um, so that people know what's going on, mm. it's incredibly valuable. Hmm. And, um, yeah, I've always considered myself very fortunate to work with these fine musicians. Yeah. It seems mundane to talk about a matter like this, but just for a moment, let's talk about uh, how Mr. Snell writes for The Voice and what it's like uh, on on that sort of level, even apart from the profound meaning of it all uh what musically is this like to sing um well it's it's interesting because it's very childlike this particular piece and so the range is this is not like an operatic you know verity (laughs) like let it blast it's very um it's it's almost like a for at least the way i experience it it's almost like a speak saying i mean I'm, i'm using my voice and my technique but um but it, it feels it, it just feels very childlike. And the original singer on the recording has a very kind of ethereal, innocent sound. And so I'm not trying to like f- like emulate that. I mean, I'm using my own voice, but this is not like okay, put on my like mm. opera like presence. You know, even the way that I um, stand. I remember this specifically, even the way that I stand and the way that I just relate to the music. It almost becomes more of a worshipful experience for me than it mm. does. Um, than it does like I am performing and I have my dress on and I'm, you know, mm. has the great posture and all that stuff. So um, it's th- that for me as the voice of the child, which is technically the role. That's how I feel mm. when I'm singing it. Right. So um, it might be different for Leaf. Um, I, what I notice about it is that, um, well, for example, what Talia sings, the range is tremendous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is, I mean, it's really, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a challenging role. Um, and the, the 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 role for uh, the the range for the role that I sing is also a, it, it's pretty pretty wide, but not as wide as Talia's role. Yeah. I do have to kind of go into the operatic part of my voice for a few occasions. Um, and it really is a, an, a kind of an unusual mixture of classical and, mm-hmm. and rock. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, I yes. can. I've always imagined that I hear from Adrian's music, um, Peter Gabriel's influence, mm-hmm. and early Genesis yeah. influence, mm-hmm. and progressive rock. Mm-hmm. Um, but yet the uh, the classical element is is also very strong yes. in it. 
you know, and the, and the organ. Uh, so, you know, the, the aspect of, of high church mm-hmm. feel to it is also there. Mm-hmm. So it's really an interesting way all yeah. these different uh, sort of genres mm-hmm. come together. Mm. Yeah. That, that really is part of who Adrian is. I mean, he yeah. was trained uh, uh, as a classical musician. Um, and uh, his life as a you know, very successful um, recording artist, he understands the voice. And so the, 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 technically the, the, the lines are positioned very, very well to the, the, so that the singer can take uh, full advantage of them. And some of those upper range things that he talks about, especially in the searcher's role, which is uh, Leaf's, Leaf's role, um, really bring that kind of contemporary mm-hmm. sound to, you know, s- that stressed sound of singing in the upper register mm-hmm. uh, that is more uh, m- more pop than, than opera. Uh, and Leaf pulls that off very well, who also mm-hmm. has strong classical training yeah. in his background. Um, and so uh, Adrian brings those pieces together in a way that's uh, – but the choral the choral writing is solid. I mean, it's just solid. It, this is not like some rock singer just threw something together. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And so th- there's a lot of skill behind what's being done. Um, but it, it comes out in a way, no matter what the style is, that's authentic. It has a, a deep authenticity to what uh, the idea that's being communicated, whether it's specifics from the requiem mass or individual lines. Uh, uh, of of people who scratched messages on walls during mm-hmm. World War II, or or the quotes of Anne Frank, uh, um, or other people who nobody will know, and that's part mm-hmm. of it. That that you know, children's voices that you know you would have never known are, are speaking about you know the trauma that they've experienced and and what what it is to be caught up. Um, in adults tussling with each other and politicians tussling with each other. What happens to children? What happens to mothers and fathers um, in their apartment buildings? Uh, it's just uh, he brings all that together in a way that, that has a – it's just very rich. Mm. Maybe you could explain uh, to our listeners kind of the construction of this work. I mean, how it's how it's put together and the different elements – that are combined by Adrian Snell in such a striking way. Yeah, I think that, you know the the structure is it's it's structured around a requiem mass, so it is a, a, a mass for the dead, and so you have some of the typical pieces that are there um, in uh, the Sanctus, for example, on you stay, and pieces that you would recognize as historic church music that was set by. Palestrina and you know Bach and and whoever else wrote uh, put their pen to these, but you also find then these texts uh, that were um, written by children that are set uh, in a more contemporary, almost uh, declamatory way. There's no yeah. big counterpoint getting in the way. The the voice and the words are front and center. Um, and so they have an immediate impact. Mm-hmm. They just hit you right between the eyes. Um, and with the images we've been seeing over the last couple of weeks and, you know, the the imminent tragedy, uh, human tragedy in Gaza, what's going on, I don't care what side you're on. You see children and mothers and grandparents just grieving, you know, what is happening here? How, how can we survive? You know, they didn't call these shots. You know, the people mm-hmm. in Gaza did not you know, insist that this happened, um, and and yet they're the ones right now paying. And quite frankly, um, if I would be thinking honestly about this, a lot of the people who are in charge of this are safe somewhere. 
They're holed up somewhere completely safe, and the two million people in Gaza are being forced to leave their homes um, and, uh, you know, having buildings collapse on them. It's, it's The tragedy is just, um, it's just mind-boggling. You know, when you think of, of uh, families and children in residential Israel just suddenly waking up one day and, and rockets are flying into their neighborhood. Um, it's just the, the human tragedy of this is, is stunning. And I think now, more than like the 1940s, we, we think about that more. Uh, we really do. And part of it's the Internet. We see images immediately. You know, they don't, they're not filtered through a news media. Um, and they bring a real relevance and power that's really tough to process. It really is. And I think this piece gives folks an opportunity to process some of that, that grief, even though we're not intimately connected to it. The, the news media, the Internet has brought it into our living rooms. Uh, and now we have to deal with it. We do. We have to deal with it. Um, and it's, this piece is a way of kind of working through that difficulty back to a point of hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For those of you just joining us, we are talking about a performance that is coming up this Saturday evening, uh, 7 o'clock at First Presbyterian Church in downtown Racine. It is a performance by the Choral Arts Society of Southeastern Wisconsin, and it is a work called The Cry, A Requiem for the Lost Child. This is a work uh, with which the... Uh, Choral Art Society has a, a, a rich history. This is the third time that they are undertaking it. Jim, for just a moment, could can you uh, talk about that experience of returning to a work? And this isn't the first time by any means mm-hmm. that uh, the Choral Art Society has returned to a piece they've done in their past. And I imagine each and every performance is different, particularly when they take place in different places and, mm-hmm. of course, Although you have a core of singers, it remains very true. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also in and out of different singers and uh, different participants. Uh, what does this feel like, returning to uh, The Cry by Adrian Snell for the third time? Well, returning to any work is a, is a blessing that is unique in, uh, uh, in music. And I know you know this from your own experiences. There are pieces that just touch your heart and you come back to them. Or pieces like this that are... This is a logistical challenge, pulling all electronics, uh, acoustic music, uh, vocal soloists, guitars. Uh, you know, you, it's, it's, it's quite a, a, a logistical uh, challenge to bring all those into balance in, in three different facilities that were all very, very different. Um, and so uh, at Carthage, when we did the first time, every instrument was mic'd. Every single instrument, and Eric uh, worked to, to, to work his magic. In this particular uh, venue, we don't have that option. And mm-hmm. so we're doing, uh, we're taking a more acoustic approach, um, but yet you got all these electronics, so you have to figure out how to balance them in the room. Um, but the other side, the coming, I remember I sang Beethoven's Ninth with uh, uh, Zdenek McCall back in, back in the days, must have been in the, in the 80s. And uh, he announced to the chorus that this was his 100th Beethoven's Ninth. <laughs> and I just, I just, my brain just screeched to a halt. I thought, I've not done anything, you know, okay. 10 times, nothing more than five times. Uh, what is it like to have the insights you can have into looking into a score 100 times? Well, I can tell you, looking into Adrian's score for the third time, you just keep finding new surprises and 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 a, a more nuanced way to do uh, certain things, or even just rethinking how things fit together or how you communicate. Um, 
I tell people I fall in love with my scores. I, 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 once I've marked them all up and I got, I go back to them and it's like you're looking, uh, you're, you're spending time with an old friend. Um, and you can take that learning to the next level. You've already done all your primary marks and, 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 and cues. Um, and you can go yet another step deeper into analyzing and looking at what's there. Um, having a second conversation with the composer uh, before we did the work at Ruther um, to, about what he thought about things, what he thought about the first performance, and we could try this and we could try that. Mm. Um, this opportunity to go deeper into this music uh, says something about the richness of the score itself. This is not just a, a typical um, you know, rock and roll piece or um, – even just like I think of Paul McCartney's was a Liverpool uh, piece that he did yeah. way back, you know. Liverpool Oratory. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this piece has a real richness to it, and I relate to this in the same way that I relate to the Verdi Requiem. Uh, it has that kind of depth to it, and the third time has just been another treasure trove to, to dig in and, and find out a little more about what was on Adrian's mind. Yeah. Uh, Talia Engstrom, you mm-hmm. touched on the fact that. Uh, you are in some respects stepping away a little bit from some of the singing that you do in terms of not being not singing with your full operatic grandeur, if you yeah. will. Uh, I mean, because there th- this piece is about something else, and I'm curious uh, what it was like for you to sing this when you were 16 versus what it's like for you to sing this now a decade later. I mean, you've already touched on kind of the new understanding that you have and the, the new concerns or the greater concerns you kind of have for the, the world and the issues. I, I don't, I'm not asking about that so much now, more uh, rather the, just the matter of you as a vocalist and as yeah. a singer coming to this piece and, and what it feels like at this point in your life. I'm already definitely choking up, so <laughs> bear with me with that. But um, definitely very different. I mean, I'm obviously not a child anymore. And um, I also have uh, stepped away from pursuing um, an operatic career, um, which was actually the trajectory that I was on even when I was that age. So, um, but it's really interesting. I've always approached the cry differently, even vocally, even at the even at the age of sixteen, because mm. of the fact that it was so. I just this music for me is. It, I don't. I. I'm trying to I'm searching for words how to describe it it just it's like in my blood it's not something I have to study and prepare Mm. it's just I just it's just there it's Mm. just always immediately at my fingertips because it's just in me so I feel like now obviously as a 28 year old woman who's had you know some training and but also someone who's been out of it for a few years I I I was talking with Jim about this just a couple days ago um, for me, it's really gonna. It's just about stepping up to the stand and singing. Mm. I mean, just not even necessarily thinking about okay, how am I gonna approach this phrase? How am I gonna approach that phase, phrase? And there's there's gonna be things going on when I have to switch registers and all that stuff. But for me, it's it's about connecting to the sort of raw, um, childlike voice, frankly, that I sang with like 10 years ago, mm-hmm. um, and 
it's going to sound different to my ears and it will feel different because I'm not a child and I think that's going to be strange for me. I think that's going to be strange. I think it's going to be emotional for me. Um, and I'm going to actually have to work hard to not make my voice sound like a child mm. because I'm going to feel the, the, mm. the desire and the need to want to be the child right. um, and stand for the children. But I'm, I'm, but I'm, I'm praying that... Um, that where I'm at now in my life and actually the wisdom that I'm, I'm coming to it, mm. I'm, I'm coming with it now, mm. um, will be portrayed somehow through my voice. Yeah. Um, because I do also feel deeply about the message of this piece and about what's going on in the Middle East. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question. No, it does. <laughs> it, it very much does. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, of course, it, it also takes us back to the fact that this is about a whole lot more than just vocalism. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what I feel about it. I feel like this, again, this is not, here's a, a concert that we're putting on for the entertainment of the audience, like when you would go see a musical theater piece, which has a, a place in and of itself. But this is really about bringing the audience into the experience with the uh, with the musicians and bringing them through the process of grief to actually what Adrian's message is at the end, which is one of hope. Mm. Um, and so I think it's very important that we approach it as such of, of bringing the audience in to track with us, not just like, look at me and how great I am, mm. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so yeah, that's my take on that. Very good. Uh, Leif Olson, I'm sure you agree with, with much of that. And I, I'm, I'm curious too, when it comes to the matter of wanting to, take uh, the audience on some kind of emotional journey uh, what is the role particularly that you and Talia play in that and 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 how do you approach that I I uh, I mean I Talia put so many things well I think that often when you're doing like a strictly classical piece and there's so much technique that you're that is a part of of how that's approached this in a way is so it's so different from that um, although both types of music are best done fully authentically um, mm. the, the kind of authenticity that, that I need to bring myself to be in this is total I mean it's like it's, it's like approaching it from reading the Psalms where you yes. enter it into it and yes. you are crying out <clears throat> and you allow yourself to go to the place where you are crying yes. out um, uh, it's not uh, hopefully not um a performance of crying out, but an actual entering into the pain and the heartbreak and the humanity and the, all that, uh, all that, you know, uh, the cruelty of, of us as human beings toward children, our, our carelessness and, um, yeah, so. Well, and it's, it's hard enough for any of us to do that ever. Mm-hmm. I mean, what you're talking about. But uh, now I think about, for instance, the two of you and, for that matter, all the members of the, of the uh, Choral Arts Society, in a sense, having to do that in a performance situation mm-hmm. and in mm-hmm. front of an audience yeah. and so mm-hmm. on. That has to be uh, exceedingly difficult and, and tricky, I mean, in terms of how to do that. Yes. I, mean, <laughs> I mean, for one thing, uh, you might feel this very, very deeply and just dissolve into a you know mass of tears and that's, that's what I'm going to do I'm, <laughs> just, I'm just terrified which of course is terribly destructive to a performance yes, 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 yes. <laughs> well exactly I mean and we, and we often hear about that that I mean if you want 
people to cry at Madame Butterfly, it's not when Chocho-san starts crying on the yeah. stage or the singer who's mm-hmm. portraying her. But I mean, it's like you, in a sense, it seems clinical to say it, but you have a job to do, mm-hmm. and this mm-hmm. is and and the task at hand is about more than just what you're feeling about yeah, all right. this, but. But but yeah. the message of this piece and wanting to convey that as powerfully as you can. I would yeah. say this too. I mean, uh, Leif and Talia are are terrific actors. I mean, they're just I've seen them in roles um, and uh, in, in other other venues, whether it's musical theater or uh, a production of, of a play. Uh, they both have the ability to connect to that deep emotional place and to communicate that. Um, you know, Lee's ability vocally to project uh, the pain of the searcher, who's really, I mean, the searcher's role really is, how could this possibly be happening? Mm. You know, God, are you out there? He has quotes around, do you hear me? You know, I cry into the darkness and nothing comes back. Um, you know, the pain of that. And and, and, and when he touched on the, the Psalms, it's very much like that, you know. And, and often the Psalms will end with, yet we know that you are God. We know that you, mm. you know, even in the midst of our pain and lack of understanding. Uh, and I would just say, uh, Leaf carries that off unbelievably well. I have to keep my head too. Mm. I hear those things and I hear the, the emotional uh, pain uh, that both of them are sharing or their confusion, it connects with me too, and I have to keep enough distance. Margaret Hawkins of the Milwaukee Symphony Chorus used to say, the chorus don't lush out. Mm. Let the audience do that. You need mm. to keep your head and stay focused on what's what's uh, uh, on their experience, not on my own experience. Um, and they both do that extremely well. Mm. It's, I was going to say, it's very different being an instrumentalist, and that was, oh. the, that was what... Um, Adrian really wanted was to have one voice in the cry that had no text, mm-hmm. and that's why the violin became, you know, it's woven through everywhere in the strings. Um, and uh, I've thought about that a lot because, um, you know, we, you could do something like this where you just recite poems mm-hmm. and there's no music, right? right? And you could just recite the text, but why put it to actual music? And, um, that's because what you actually have going on in the diatonic scale that we know here in the West, um, chord progressions, melodies, there's something actually intrinsic in the movement of tone to tone and the way it creates tension and resolution. It starts at home, goes away from home, returns, that's connecting deeply to um, ourselves as humans. And it's it's also in the cosmos. All these ratios of, you know, um, um, wavelengths and things in in um, intervals, and so I think that's why something like the cry, because he he keeps it pretty simple harmonically, and just keeps moving with the phrasing, and you're repeating a lot of the musical phrases. Um, it's actually going very very deep into the listener because human beings are made to respond to those chord progressions. And so mm-hmm. you're, you're having a real experience when, when you're listening. And then, of course, as playing, and that as, a, as a violinist, that's something I always had to deal with in performances is having that kind of discipline to not to stay detached but also put into what I'm doing something that's highly emotional. Because, you know, if, if I were to get too emotional, if I shake or have a tremor, mm-hmm. then I can't. Sure. You know, it's the same vocal Mm -hmm. 
as well, but that there has to be a certain detachment from what's happening so that the audience is getting, Mm -hmm. so that the music is doing what the music needs to do, not just the text, but the actual music has to come across in a way that it's, it's in tune Mm -hmm. and it's, it's, um, you know, the, the sustain is there and that you're phrasing correctly. Right. Yeah. I mean, as tempting as it might be, you, you, you can't indulge in your own right. emotion, mm-hmm. it's it's really not about that. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. as as, mu- as important as that is, what you're feeling, that's not of, of paramount concern. And and serving the music and the message is is of paramount importance here. Uh, let's listen to a little of of the playing that you do, Rebecca Engstrom, mm-hmm. uh, in the cry. speaking to you, the one they forced from the playground and from the street, from the house where you lived and from your childhood room. As you suffer, I suffer, and my nights are sleepless too. I swear to you, I do not kick the football like before. I do not sing the way I did. I have locked up my bicycle, and I have locked up my smile. I have locked up my games and my childish jokes as well. Will the waiting be long? I do not want to grow old while still just a child. And I fear for you, that in the wait, the place of your birth will soon be forgotten. Therefore, my friend, welcome to my place. We will share the sea and the beauty of a summer evening. We will enjoy the singing of the birds and do our homework together. Visit excerpt from The Cry, A Requiem for the Lost Child by Adrian Snell. That was Rebecca Engstrom playing so beautifully on the violin. Uh, Jim, uh, we, we don't have a lot of time, but uh, did you make mention earlier of the fact that this is a particular arrangement of The Cry that you're going to be performing Saturday night? Uh, yes, Adrian's work was a studio work uh, built in the studio, and then Rebecca was brought in to help enhance that. Uh, David Drummond, who is a uh, um, conductor and uh, uh, gifted arranger, uh, arranged this piece for a concert of a, it was a, a World Children's Relief Fund a fundraiser, and he asked Adrian if he could if he could arrange this for uh, for orchestra, to which Adrian agreed, um, and so you know this this was an arrangement for a particular time. And I'm not sure anybody intended it to be done again. Um, and uh, so uh, having contact with David after he did this arrangement, 
he was just thrilled. And what, one of the things that we did was kind of interesting. Uh, there was some artistic disagreements about uh, about how the, the orchestral piece came out. And so I got kind of caught in the middle of that the first time that we did the work. And so we, uh, David and I and Adrian, had these conversations about um, how to maybe adjust some of the pieces in the arrangement, um, you know, which pieces were more important to create the flow that Adrian wanted. So what we're doing is kind of a hybrid um, that uh, both the arranger and the composer uh, were pretty happy with. So that was that was fun to do, a little nerve-wracking at first because I didn't know either one of them. Um, wow. And uh, Adrian would say, well, that one part there, could you could you fix that? Could you talk about that? And so we did that. Uh it's a it's a stunning uh, arrangement, and David is a gifted orchestrator, really gifted. How he brought together kind of modern electronic instruments and acoustic instruments and, and made that work, mm. there's a little bit of genius in that. Uh, and when you hear it uh, all together, it's pretty stunning that you hear contemporary sounds with classical orchestra, sometimes in the same in the, in the same texture, same fabric. Um, and it's just it's it's brilliantly done, mm. and so uh, this is this is this is the piece I've fallen in love with. Uh, the Adrian's inspiration, uh, his his melodic sense, uh, and David's brilliant orchestration. Mm. I want to be sure that we uh, don't leave without you mentioning kind of the other element that's going to be part of Saturday evening, in addition to this. Performance, which begins at at, at seven o'clock. Correct. Tell our listeners uh, what else is happening on uh, on Saturday evening at First Presbyterian Church to mm-hmm. help enhance what already is going to be obviously a very very powerful experience. There's two events going on. One is uh, an opportunity for both young and old to to think about these issues that are happening in our world right now and create their own art around that. So Pat Badger and one of her colleagues from the Prairie School are going to be guiding people through an art therapy uh, opportunity to begin to process some of their feelings. Um, And then uh, we also have a speaker um, who has uh, studied uh, Ukraine and and knows that culture has been there several times and has some unique insight into what's going on there in, in the minds of people of Ukraine. And so he's going to be speaking in, in a pre-concert talk, uh, and those are added there. And I would be remiss if I didn't say one of the things, and uh, Pat Badger, my associate, um, negotiated artwork by Ukrainian children that are going to be part of this performance. So those images will be projected during the concert, and they are remarkable pieces of art. Uh, if anybody's experienced anything, remember when you did the Verdi Requiem years ago and, and, and the, the Terrazin performance where children did artwork uh, and, and, and they were composing music, but there was a lot of uh, images of how children were trying to process the horrifying things that were going on in that camp. Um, and so this is some of the same thing. One of the pictures has has a, a lovely pet, obviously, of this this young child, but there are rockets flying through the air, um, houses on fire, um, you know, pictures of, of soldiers in, you know, in apartment buildings. Um, and uh, it's just not only we're we hearing words of young people, now we're seeing images of what uh, what these young people are trying to process and 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 it's a good way to begin for them to process some of the trauma that they're currently in uh, as art therapy does and as Adrian knows very well as a professional in that area. So 
this is not just a musical performance. You're going to have some opportunity to make art. You have some opportunities to hear from a, a, a person who spent time in Ukraine, and you're going to be able to see some of the artwork produced uh, currently contemporary by, by uh, Ukrainian children. Uh, it was a feature at the uh, Ukrainian Museum of Modern Art in Chicago about a year ago, a year and a half ago. And they gave us permission to use those images as part of our performance. Fantastic. So if people are wanting to attend Saturday night, what, what do they do? Well, they're, they're, uh, they can certainly come and buy a ticket at the door. Uh, we also have an outlet at uh, Julie's Personal Touch Flowers. Uh, you can order uh, tickets on our, uh, through our webpage. Uh, very likely at this point, if you order them through the webpage, they'll be left at will call. So we probably won't be mailing anything out this late. Um, so you can call the Coral Arts office, and uh, you can call the Coral Arts office also at uh, 632-3450 and, uh, and order a ticket that will be left for you at will call as well. Very good. And, of course, later on in the season comes your lessons and carols and then a performance of Carl Orff's dramatic cantata, Kamina Burana. But first, the cry, a requiem for the lost child. As we hear the last couple minutes of this uh, uplifting work, uh, we want to thank everybody uh, in the room for being a part of this morning show conversation today. Uh, first of all, mother and daughter, Rebecca Engstrom and Talia Engstrom and Leif Olson. Uh, and, of course, on the podium for Saturday night's performance, uh, Jim Schatzman, the uh, founder and artistic director of the uh, Choral Arts Society. Thank you one and all, and the uh, best you, wishes to you and everyone you, participating in this really important performance Saturday evening of The Cry, A Requiem for the Lost Child uh, by Adrian Snell at First Presbyterian Church in downtown Racine. Shining stars too.